Thanks. Well, good morning. Welcome to Emmaus Church community. My name's Nathan. Really glad you're here. A uh, couple of things. We'll be in a long psalm this morning, so I really recommend that you have a Bible in front of you. It's just too much content to really put on slides very effectively. I think it'd be more helpful to have a Bible. So if you don't have one, raise your hand. We'll get you one, and you can follow along with us. It's on page 433, I believe. Um, it's Psalm number 139. Pretty much in the middle of the Bible, you can open it up and find the Psalms, which is a big book of Psalms, songs, songs, I can say that, songs and prayers. Also, if you're on the aisle and there's a basket under your chair, would you grab it and pass it down? And this is just an opportunity. If you're new with us this morning, welcome. I'm so glad you're here, uh, and I hope that you're challenged and encouraged to engage with the Lord with your whole heart today. Please fill out the card if you like to uh, hand off your email your contact info, and we can stay in touch. We put out a weekly newsletter. comes out on Wednesdays every week. It's like a 60-second email. What's going on in the community this week? We'd love to be able to share that with you. All right. I think, I think that's, that's it. Um, man, what a week we have had as a community. I wanted to say a couple of things. First, thank you for all of you. Thank you to all of you who showed up in support of Ben Black and his family at his memorial service, which was Friday afternoon up in Auburn. There's such a strong showing of support from this church, uh, and literally dozens of you served uh, with the food. We just, we just totally took care of the food, and uh, with the parking, and with ushering, and over 750 people were there, so it was just a really huge showing of support, just an overwhelming uh, afternoon of support. That was Friday. And on Saturday, many of you went to um, the wedding of Carlos and Robin Campis, young couple in our church who volunteer with the middle school ministry called Ignite. Carlos is also the director of our youth center called the Axiom, which, by the way, opens up this Friday night officially um, from 5 to 7 as a drop-in open house kind of thing. We'll have kids planted in there like zoo animals doing the real thing, and all these donors and parents can walk in and see how it really works. I might be just a little less guarded today for whatever reason. Um, so that was yesterday. The wedding was yesterday. So many of us, uh, many of us went from funeral Friday, wedding, awesome, yesterday, just a really full weekend in, in the life of our community. When I was in graduate school, I read this journal by a, a country preacher from the 19th century, and he's this Lutheran pastor in the Dakotas. And I told a couple of you this yesterday. Uh, he would just travel around on a horse and hit these towns, you know, for a weekend at a time, and then it would take him three or four months to get back. And so he'd come into town, and that was it. You got to do the weddings, the baptisms, the communion, right? The the, the funerals, everything. I kind of felt a little bit like that. This because then it was done. You had to squeeze it all into one weekend. Um, it was the, really the fullness of this weekend um, for us. And it's real life, just kind of amplified a bit, is what it is. It's just real life amplified. Um, I'm tired. I know that some of you are tired. My goodness, I'm so, I'm so amazed at how some of you serve other people. I'm so, uh, I mean, I've shared life with some of you for 10 years, and I'm still going, I, these people are always helping people. I'm just so admired, uh, so full of admiration for you. Um, I know you're tired. I know you're probably tired of hearing me talk. <laughs> I bet that's the truth. Every time I show up, this guy's got a microphone. <clears throat> Days like this that I'm just especially grateful 
for this community that this is, a, this is essentially just a, a community of people who gather to worship God. This is not an event. This is not a performance where most people sit and a few people talk. This really is, um, and it's our heart that it continues to be, a community of people who are sharing life, discovering Jesus together, that we mourn together at funerals, that we celebrate together at weddings, that we come together on Sundays because it's our rhythm, it's our pattern, it's what we do. And we read scripture together to get perspective on truth. We, we pray old prayers together. We sing songs together. Uh, we, we, we hear the word declared together. That really worship or coming to church is, is about what you bring to it, right? Not what you get out of it, which is so upside down from what our culture is, is saying these days. That it's what we bring to it. And that God will meet us right here where we are and he will speak through his word by his Holy Spirit that it doesn't have to be about some um, remarkable skill set, but that we've got this word that can speak to us. And so we do it. today we just commune with God today. And I'm so grateful for the freedom to just be with you in worship this morning. And I pray for grace to lead well. I need this this morning. You need this this morning. That's the reality all the time. And sometimes we're just a little bit more aware of it. So today I'm going to wrap up a three-part series that we've called Shadow Side, Ancient Prayers for Modern Troubles. In week one, we talked about navigating doubt. We talked about how to deal with life when what we believe doesn't match up with what we see and experience. That was week one on doubt. Last week, we talked about facing adversity with devotion, which is the pattern of the ancient church. Facing adversity with devotion, instead of responding to threatening situations by running, we respond to threatening situations by waiting for the Lord. Very counterintuitive, but it's the testimony of David in Psalm, in Psalm 27. <clears throat> Both of these teachings, by the way, are posted at EmmausCommunity.org. If that feels like, ah, that might be something I'd like to hear, and you missed it. Today, today's sermon is entitled Deliverance, and this is the main idea, that when you're living on the shadow side, when you're living on the shadow side, you need to remember your value. You need to remember that you're worth rescuing. Okay? It, can, it can be really easy, in other words, when we find ourselves not on the bright side of life, but we find ourselves on the shadow side of life. And uh, by that I mean when we're unemployed or when we've been diagnosed with cancer or when we've been betrayed by a friend or when our children are rejecting our values and mocking our guidance, when the world says, you don't matter, you're insignificant, uh, it can be very easy to slip into believing that God doesn't care, that this is all just random chaos. It's at these points where we can become very vulnerable, and it's at these points, therefore, that we need to embrace the truth. We need to listen for the truth, willing to really hear the truth, and so we can embrace the truth. Today I want to read this powerful ancient song. It's really a song. It was written to be a song together. It's written by King David. It's uh, known to us, to us as the 139th Psalm. Um, and so I just invite you to turn there in a Bible with me this morning. And I want to read this, make some, some small comments, and then try to bring it together at the end with just a, three observations. Um, do you have passages of scripture that remind you of specific times in your life? Uh, like, like almost like a movie or a picture? I remember the first time I was exposed to this psalm. I was 14 years old. I'd only been following Jesus for about a year. I was over at my friend Kevin's house, 
And we were watching a, a VHS tape of a Petra concert. Um, any Petra? Yes! Come on! Love that. I was like, wow, I never heard this kind of stuff before. And um, it was an 80s Christian rock band, 70s, 80s. Then they tried to keep it going in the 90s. It got ugly. Um, but so anyway, uh, stay focused, Nate. John, I think his name was John Schlitt. He was the, the lead singer. And in the middle of this concert, he starts praying this prayer. And I'm 14 years old, and I'm like, I think he's, I think he's reading the Bible, but I've never, I didn't know the Bible said that. The Bible says that. And I remember literally going home and, and getting to my little, my Bible, the first Bible that I had, and reading this and just going, like, I am really valuable to God. If this is true, I am, I am way more personally and intimately valuable to God than I thought. I, this, this, I just remember this striking me, this really uh, making an impression. So, so let's read this together. It's almost 30 years ago. I still remember that um, so clearly, which is a blessing. So let's read this together. I'm excited to share it with you. Let's read the first six verses of uh, Psalm 139. Um, and what you're going to hear right now is David reflecting on God's complete knowledge of him. If you're taking notes, God's complete knowledge. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too lofty. For me to attain. So the opening verse of this song is basically David just singing about this basic truth that God knows you better than you know you. I mean, he just absolutely, completely, thoroughly, without exception, just knows you. And so this is the opening verse. And then in the next verse, so, um, verses 7 through 12, he shifts and he begins to sing about God's complete presence. Verse 7, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand, which is a symbol of God's strength, will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light will become night around me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. So he's essentially saying there's no place that is beyond God, that every place exists within God. Now, we only, have, we only can use the language that we have, and it's almost always incomplete. But we say things that, that mislead us. We say things like, well, God showed up, as if, as if God were somewhere else before then. You know, we say, like, I don't know if God can reach them in that dark place, as if God needs to travel from one place to get to another. And I know what we mean when we say that. We mean something like, I began to recognize and experience the presence of God. That's what we mean when we say, God showed up, right? But even saying those words can be kind of dangerous because they reinforce bad and and potentially hurtful theology. That's not hurtful. Well, it might be hurtful if you're on the shadow side and you start to think a little bit sideways. 
when you start to get a little bit screwed up in the way you're perceiving things, these are the kinds of things that can make you dip into that valley of like, God's not even with me. I'm in a place that's beyond him. I, I know. I mean, I, didn't I say this last week? You can slip there so easily. And so we want to reinforce the truth. David's point here is, is that there exists no place that is beyond God. Yes, he struggles with experiencing God. The Psalms are full of that. Um, he sometimes feels like God has abandoned him. He uses really strong language, but here he emphasizes the truth. And he's, emphas- he's singing it, right? He's singing the truth like we do. We sing a lot of things that we don't really feel or believe, don't we? Um, it looks like it. <laughs> um, ooh. So, um, <laughs> what, what, but we sing the truth because we want to remind ourselves of what's true. We want to embrace the truth. We wanna, so that's what David is doing, right? There's no place where God is not. Well, what's the foundation of that claim, David? Where do you get that idea? Well, he, he, he names it in verse 13. He says, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. In other words, the the foundation of the assertion that God is completely knowledgeable, all-knowing, and he's completely present, he's omnipresent, is that he's the creator. He's the creator. Like, that's the foundation of this doctrine, that he knows everything. God, every creation was, by definition, created by a creator, right? So God has all access to me. There's no, he has all access to you. There's nothing he doesn't know. And then this is a little trippy. He also has all access to all places because he made all places. And he has all access to all time because even time is a creation of God. So David is like blown away by the reality of the ramifications of the fact that God is creator and then leads him to pray this, verses uh, 14 and through 16. This is what he prays next. Um, if I praise, I praise you, he says. You're creator, you created everything. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body, and then all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Friends, when life is hard, when you're grieving, when you're living on the shadow side, when what you don't have is a more present dynamic in your life than what you do have, it can be difficult to find a good reason to worship God. But David here lists two. God sees and God knows. God sees and God knows David can't even get too far into the, 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 the singing about the ramifications of the fact of God's presence and knowledge because even those two things, it's like before he even starts talking about what God has given him or how God's blessed him, he just sings and worships God because God sees him and God knows. It's really beautiful. He can't get too far into processing this basic truth that God is creator without coming to the point of worshiping God simply for those things. This really challenges me because I get drawn into thinking about only what God has given or what God has not given, and I lose grasp sometimes of the core of my faith, which is a relationship with God, not with what God has provided. It's a relationship, a real relationship with God. 
who loves me enough to see me and to know me. Next, verses 17 through 18, we hear David's response to this renewed perspective that he has. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. I just love that verse. I think that's my favorite part. When I awake, I'm still with you. Here's what I hope you hear there. After the dark, after the night, metaphorically, you're going to wake up and you're going to look back and it's going to be clear to you that God is still with you. He's with you the whole time. Of course you can't see it in the dark. Of course you can't recognize and feel him often in the midst of the pain. But the morning comes and you look back and the faithful, consistent testimony of the holy tradition of the church, God is with me there. When I awake, I'm still with you. Like he never left. Right? David seems to realize the value of God's unbounded knowledge, his uninterrupted presence. What's happening here? What's happening at this point? He's, he's personalizing the truth. That's what's happening. He's personalizing it. And he's becoming convinced that he is worth rescuing. He's not abandoned. God hasn't forgotten him. There's a whole lot of things that probably make zero sense to him. But he's, he's, he's beginning to personalize the truth enough to begin to believe, I have not been forgotten. I am worth rescuing. And then, and this is super interesting and was troubling for so long to me, and still is to a bit, in verse 19 through 22, David complains. I mean, after this, like, peak of worship, he, he com we hear a complaint. He's worshiping, but he's still struggling. And that might be just a powerful sermon in and of itself. Because sometimes we're so dualistic that we think, well, I was in a season of struggle, and then I worshipped. And then I, I fell away from, the, from God, and I stopped worshiping, therefore I struggled. And then I came out of my struggle to worship. Well, what we see here is struggle and worship happening at the same time. And I'm really grateful for that, right? Really grateful for that, because it just sort of like speaks real language to me, truth to me. Um, here's his complaint. It's pretty intense. Verses 19 and forward. <laughs> so he goes from, when I awake, I'm still with you. And it's like sunrise, lake, cup of coffee, Bible. It's like you just feel it, like this warmth of, oh, it all makes sense now. Then he says, if only you would slay the wicked, O God. Away from me, you bloodthirsty men. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, O oh God? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. So um, this is a struggle. This is a disconnect. He's essentially going like, how does evil fit in with all this good that I see? I mean, God's thoughts are like more vast than the sands of the ocean, and yet how do I, how do I what's the word, um, integrate, or how do I deal with the reality that in light of, there's goodness and there's just all this brokenness and terribleness at the same time. Uh, for most of my life, I have not had any idea what to do with these verses. In fact, uh, when I read the Psalm 139 in my first Bible that first day, I highlighted the entire Psalm, every line with this really dark, bright yellow highlight, except for these verses. I was like, I just, 
I just didn't feel like I could really highlight these verses. Was it Christian to highlight these verses? Aren't, aren't I supposed to uh, like love my enemy and pray for those who persecute me? And David's like, kill them, right? I just didn't know what to do with this. I'm not totally sure that I, that I, that I do. I've almost always skipped this part. I've prayed this prayer since I was 14. I almost always skip this part. Um, but uh, I don't skip it anymore. I pray with David here. I feel like I have a renewed sense of freedom. God help me. Um, to just pray this with David. Um, and it's because of this. It's because I've become so much more deeply aware of the pain that sin causes. And I've seen up close the destruction and the perversion caused by radical selfishness. And frankly, I feel the same way David, David feels. Evil should be stopped. Right? Wickedness should be slain. I hate evil. I hate brokenness. I hate disease. I am disgusted with corruption. If sin is ultimately the root of cancer and the source of children being trafficked and the killing of the unborn, then I can't wait for wickedness and for the wicked to be finally overcome. I can't wait. And that's 21st century preacher talk, finally overcome. And what you get the blessing of in reading the Psalms of King David, who was a warrior, is he's just like, I can't wait till we just kill him, right? And, and now that could be taken to an extreme, but here's what, I hope you hear the heart there. It's like this absolute lack of tolerance for evil and sin. And I think that's appropriate, and I think it's okay to pray that. It's certainly okay to feel that, right? To be honest with our disgust of that. And then finally, David ends Psalm 139 with this deeply personal prayer for purity and for guidance. And if you don't know this prayer, you should learn it. You should consider writing it down, putting it on your dashboard or your mirror or in your office or something, and you should learn it. You should pray it. Here's how the psalm ends. It's a song, remember. So imagine this like gritty, rough, angry middle part where he's just like, what do you do with all this bad stuff? And then he comes out with this, but he doesn't like get onto his high horse and judge. He comes right back to his beautiful prayer of purity and guidance. And this is what it is. It says, search me, O God. Search me. Know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. The word anxious there means disquieting. It can also be translated, know anything that separates or divides from peace. So know those things about me, God. Search me and know the thoughts in my heart that divide me from peace. See if there is any offensive way in me or hurtful or harmful. And then lead me in the way everlasting. And that's a powerful word. Powerful word. Lead me in the eternal way. Lead me in the way it was and it is and it will be. Lead me in the truth. That's not fluffy church language, lead me in the way everlasting. That's like, lead me into reality, the way it was and is and evermore shall be. It's beautiful. One more time, search me, O God, know my heart. Test me, know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So good, so powerful. So three quick thoughts, and I, I just put these as truths to remember. Truths to remember when you're on the shadow side. Number one, remember, when you're on the shadow side of life, God is in the shadows. Remember that. 
God's in the shadows. David says, where can I go from your presence? If you're in the dark, God's in the dark. He is. Okay? If you're grieving, he is there with you. Jesus came to earth for a couple of reasons, but probably primary is to punctuate this, this point, that God is with us in our journey. Jesus cries with you at funerals. Jesus dances with you at weddings. Right? God is with you in the shadows. He's with us. David prays this in Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, what is it? You are with me, right? I'll fear no evil. You're right, because you are with me. So remember this. God is with us in the shadows. Secondly, remember this, that for God, from God's perspective, which is to say in reality, there really are no shadows. God is not hindered by the things that hinder us. This is what David realizes in verse 11 of the prayer. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day. Why? For darkness is as light to you. Remember, he created both. We perceive shadows as places where clarity is limited, where freedom is limited, where peace is distant. God is not limited by these things. I'm confused. He's not. He's not. He's not confused. Remember, for God, there, there are no shadows. My favorite movie of all time is The Matrix. I love it. There is a scene in the movie where the main character is meeting with all these little protégés, and it's, a, it's about a spoon. That's okay. Um, and um, he says this. The kids say, like, they're trying to teach him how to be really spiritual, and they're like, only believe that there is no spoon. Spoon's all bendy. This is not what David is saying, okay? That's basically Buddhism, to ignore and deny reality. That's not what David's saying. David is not ignoring and denying reality. When I say that for God there are no shadows, it's absolutely not saying that God is denying pain. It's simply saying that he has a bigger perspective on it. Do you see what I mean? Do you see the difference? It's not a denial of the reality. It is a different view of the reality that ultimately changes the reality, right? So for me, there's a wall there. But for God, well, yes, there's a wall there, but there is no wall there because right, he's not limited by that in the same way that I am limited by that. And then finally, remember that uh, God knows the way out of the shadows, we're still in the shadows. For us, absolutely. I can't see anything other than my own perspective. Hopefully I'm encouraged and hopeful by God's perspective, but I come back to my perspective and I just go really limited. I'm limited by time and space. So what's most helpful to me? This, knowing that God knows the way out. God knows the way out of shadows. David prays, lead me in the way everlasting. And he's confident that God knows the way everlasting. I've heard this phrase a lot this week. I've said this phrase myself this week. It's this, I, I don't know what to do. I don't know. I don't know how to deal with this. I don't know where to go with this. I don't know how to get through this. In these moments, our faith becomes remarkably practical because we remember that God does. Okay? That's where our faith becomes practical. The honesty is in saying, I don't know what to do here. Our Christianity becomes a faith that actually makes a difference when we believe, well, God does know what to do here. 
He does know the way. I don't need to know the way out of the situation. I don't need to know. I just need to stay close to God. I need to embrace God's constant closeness, even if I don't feel it. How do you do that? Well, essentially by worshiping God. That's how you do it. You, you, you do that by singing praises to God. Why don't you come, come, come on out and get started? You, you do this by singing and praying and saying what's true. Worship is the fundamental way we navigate through the shadows. We worship our way out of the shadow side. We've talked about doubt. We've talked about adversity. Today is about deliverance. And I'm encouraging you to consider the possibility, which I think is supported by the tradition of the church. I think we hear stories about this over and over and over and over and over and over again through Scripture, that we worship our way out of the shadow side. That's how we get out. The testimony of the rich tradition is that deliverance comes when we lift up our eyes and we lift up our hearts to God and we worship in the midst of the mess and we worship our way out of it, right? So this morning, we're going to shift up the, the order of our typical gathering. And because um, I want to just provide this, I want to like do this. I am so out of words and I'm so ready to just do this. So um, what we're going to do is we're going to spend a minute singing and worshiping together. I'll come right up and uh, we'll go through the communion prayer together. And, uh, and then we'll be done, okay? Um, so would you stand up with me? And, and I just invite you um, to be real and to be honest and to choose to lift up your hearts and to choose to lift up your eyes. And if all you can do is sit and listen, then sit and listen. If you can sing, sing loudly. If you need to change your posture to reflect what you wish was real in your heart and you need to kneel, then you can come kneel here. You can come kneel here on the steps. You can light candles over here. If you need to walk and pace, you can, you're welcome to do that. Let's just be free as a family together to worship the Lord. Um, so Josh, lead us, if you would, brother. Let's, let's praise the Lord together.